0: All right. So we have been going through this parenting series and it has been long enough since I've seen some of you. I just want to make sure that you know where we've been and then I'll tell you what we're going to do today. So our first the first message, title, was your most important parental decision. Um, nobody could guess what it was when we when we gave that message. and It actually is who you parent with. Who you marry is the most, before you even have kids, it's the most important decision. So if you missed that message, by the way, all these messages are online. I really want to encourage you. It's very practical, very helpful, especially if you're um, not married yet. But also for the sake of your marriage, there's some things in there about just how important your marriage is and how to... Live that out in front of your, your children. The second message was the disciplines of disciplining. And the thesis was basically this. If I'm going to raise my kids and discipline them, raise them, I'm going to have to be very disciplined. What I have found is the less self-control I have, the worse parent I am. So that message was dedicated to that whole idea. And then last week we talked about, well, not really last week, the week before last week. Last week was shoveling, remember? Uh, it was help, I need somebody. And the idea was that that parents going alone on their own intelligence, on their own strength without a sense of community are in real trouble. And so we we ask the question, hey, do you have somebody who's ahead of you that you're close to, that you're following. They've already raised their kids. They're two steps ahead of you, and you can learn from them. You can kind of live in their shadows a bit. Do you have some people alongside of you, people who are doing the same stage of parenting that you're in with you, and you can support each other because there's no love like that expressed when you're in the same trench together and the bullets are flying? And then the last one, do you have somebody behind you that you can mentor and reach out to and just say, hey, I'm not judging. I'm not Anything, I'm just here for you and I love you and I care about you and I kind of know what it is where you are right now. And it won't be exactly the same, but it'll be enough the same that I can be supportive to you. So that's where we've, we've been. By the way, the challenge to the last one is are we going to be that church? Are we going to be the church that connects parents together, that equips parents, that supports parents? And the answer is, we've been that church, but we're going to be that church all the more in the future. And so we're doing some strategic thinking about how to be that church on an ongoing basis to help with parenting, because we're not just going to teach parenting series for the rest of the year. So we have to think of some other ways of doing that. So today, today is going to hit everybody, because we're going to talk about the job of being a parent in three major phases, the beginning, the beginning the middle, and the end. You probably could have come up with those on your own, I know. So sometimes I hear parents say, hey, once a parent, always a parent, right? I'll always be your mom. I'll always be your dad. And that is absolutely true. But how we parent at different stages changes. It changes dramatically. And so that's what we're going to hit today. And I can prove it to you, by the way. How many of you, just raise your hand, and I want you to keep them up. How many of you heard this phrase from one of your parents? In your life, because I said so, you've heard that. Is this like everybody in the room? Okay, keep your hands up, keep your hands up. How many of you heard it when you were 40 years old from your mom or your dad? So I did. Driving down the road, my dad is in the front. I'm 40 years old, which puts him about 70, right? And he, we were uh, up in Canada near Toronto, doesn't really matter, but he wanted me to go somewhere, and, and, and I can't even remember where because that was not the thing that was memorable. He said, he said, Doug, I want you to go to such a place. And I said, Dad, I'm not, I'm not going. No, I really want you to go there. Dad, I am not going. I'm not going to do that. I do not want to do that. I am not going to do that. He said, you are going to do this. I said, why am I going to do that? Because I said so. And I started laughing. <laughs> this is not the reaction he wanted from me. So he's very frustrated. And I just said, Dad. I'm 40 years old because I said so doesn't work anymore. That's long gone. It probably left me about 12 years old but you know, at least 15, 17, that's fine but not today. Not today. That's a whole different stage. That's a, that's a beginning or a middle thing but it's not an end thing. All right, so in a moment, in fact right now, our, our hosts are going to hand out some paper and what you need to know is you're going to get a sheet of paper, different colors, don't worry about it. This this paper represents the child you might or might not have. It just represents one child, today's child, for you. You know, it might be because you gave natural birth to this paper. You might have adopted this paper. It doesn't matter because a life is a life, but you have these kids that are about to be handed to you. You need to treat them and take care of them until you're given instructions because it's a life, figuratively speaking, today. Okay, so, so hold on to that, and we'll teach. Once those are out, I'll give you some more instructions. So the first stage of parenting is... I call it the beginning, right? And beginning is actually even before you have children, right? It's it's where the dreams are dreamt. This is the whole phase of the beginning. I remember when Lori told me, that, you know, hey, Doug, we are pregnant. And I, I said, what's this we stuff? But she's pregnant, and we're going to have a baby together. And this is before I knew my son. And we started to dream dreams, We started to think about what would this be like and what do we want this child to become? And when we found out it was a boy, what name should we get? We're just dreaming together how exciting this is. What do we want for our children? right? And I remember when they handed this little baby boy to me. And I remember when I first saw Molly. It is a dream stage. What What is this child's potential? God, help me to help this child realize their potential. And there's a Bible verse that talks about it. I don't think we normally think of it this way, but the Bible verse says this. It's Proverbs 22:6. 6. Probably you're familiar with it. It says, Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave from it. And the answer to the question is, What's the right path? And I don't think anybody explores that because most of us just go, Well, it means the do's and don'ts. It means follow God. I think it means a lot more than that. I think the right path is, What's the right path for this kid? Yes, of course it's the moral stuff and the ethical stuff the God stuff. But it's also the becoming and the who is this and the exact purpose for, for this person's life. And it says, hey, dream your dreams for your child. Dream great dreams, the right path. Figure out what that is, because ultimately it's going to be what you think it is. That's what you're going to raise your... That's the purpose-driven parenting you're going to do. You're going to raise your kids for how you want them to turn out, and you're going to set them on a trajectory for, the, for their future. So the right path is all your dreams and hopes for your child. Now I hope that includes the, the idea of the rights and the wrongs and the biblical stuff we just naturally think of, but I also hope it includes a whole bunch more than that. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your paper, and in a moment, I'm gonna, well, first of all, do this right now. Put your initials on the paper, because that represents your DNA invested in that child, your time, it's your paper, and I might need that to prove it's your paper later on. All right? We'll have to do a, like a paternity maternity test and we'll just let's look for your initials. All right, so I'm going to give you a free one to write down because I'm going to have you write down three or four dreams that you have for your kids. So let, let me get the Christian one out of the way and then you can think about other things. So Lori and I put down right away that what we want as a parent, um, excuse me, let me get this right. So what you want as a parent, desire to sculpt your child's life for you, okay, get those down. you are write three or four. I'm going to give you the freebie. Now I'm caught up to my own mouth, all right? For our children to love God, to seek and honor Him in how they live. We want our kids to love God, love other people, and honor God with their lives. That was one of our first ones. So if you go, yeah, I am on. I want that for my kid, write that one down. Write it down. You don't have to write every word out, but write that one down, number one. And then I want you to write down three or four more. They don't have to be long sentences, just things that you would want for your kid. And if you don't have a kid, just think, what would I want for my kid? What do I want for her kids? Whatever it is. Um, write those down, and we're going to give you just a little bit of music to put you in the mood. Go ahead, write those down. Try not to cry. The Younger people are going, what is he laughing about? writing i'm going to keep talking because i think you can handle it so the beginning is where dreams are dreamt and and we all i hope you do this this is a good thing to do to think through what you're really raising your your children for by the way this is the shortest stage of parenting because once they hit about six weeks old you start the next phase Right? The first six weeks and, and, and while you're pregnant and maybe before you're, you're dreaming the kinds of dreams you're imagining what it would be like and what do you want your kids to become and then you get to the middle stage and the middle is different. The middle is where lives are shaped. The middle is where lives are shaped. This is the active parenting. Now there's three stages to the the middle of of childhood, three broad childhood stages, early childhood, middle childhood, and adolescence. And that's actually how we organize our schools, isn't it? Preschool and elementary school and high school and middle school kind of things. So what I want you to do next, by the way, this paper is going to carry us through the whole message. What I want you to do next is take your paper and what you're going to do is you're going to make an airplane out of your paper. Now let me just give you some instruct before you start folding, it's gonna get very loud for folding in a minute. Before you start folding, I I want you to tell you what you're aiming for. You're aiming for straight and true when when you fly your plane. Okay? This is not like, oh, get overly decorated. Just make a plane that will fly as straight and as true as possible. Because isn't that what you want for your kids? You set them on a trajectory and they're gonna fly straight and true. So go ahead and start folding your paper. If you've never made a paper airplane before, you understand what parenting is like right now. Right? That's that first child. You don't know what you're doing. You probably should have read a book before you came about folding paper airplanes. And what you're doing right now is you're shaping your paper for flight. Right? You're just reshaping it. so that it'll fly. And this is actually what parents do. Parents shape their children intentionally and unintentionally. You want to be intentional about it. You want to be consistent about it because there's all kinds of ways people shape their children. You shape your child and how you love them, how they feel loved, how you communicate your love for them, the time you spend with them, both formal and informal time, the structure you give them as they're growing up shapes them, how you play and How you encourage them to play is very life-shaping. What you teach them when you sit them down and say, hey, I want you to learn a few things. First of all, you need to know how to change a tire before I give you the car keys. This is really important in case you're out there somewhere. And then maybe the most powerful of all is how you model to your children because they will copy you. It is one of the most disconcerting moments of a parent's life is when they hear words out of a kid and they go, where did you learn to use language like that? And the kids look at you and go, from you... From you, I'm just saying stuff I hear you say. And then, of course, the last one is discipline, which is actually a shaping tool. It's part of how we shape our children. We discipline them. How are those planes coming? I hear the rustling. There is no need for talking to each other. This is not a plane. This is not a group effort. This is just you on your own. You're stuck with your own skills and lack of skills, just like parenting. All right. Now, this is also what we hope. Those of us who are following Christ. This is what we hope God will do with us. We pray prayers like, God, we don't just want to know you and go to church. We want you to change us. We want you to shape us. We want to become what you dream of us becoming. We want to find the right path and follow it, the path that you have for us. And I'm going to remind you of some verses we looked at earlier in the series that talk about that. Hebrews 12, 10 through 11, it says, For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, Doing the best I know how. I love that. It's just for a few years. By the way, parents, if you're in the thick of it right now, I know it doesn't feel this way. Those of you in the thick of it, with the little kids, I promise you it's only a few years. It will go by. The longest one is the end. The, the middle stage of parenting is not that long. It's just a few years that you had to put into your kids and then they won't listen to you anymore. But God's discipline is always good for us. God's shaping is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. So we might share in becoming the people he made us to be. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. No shaping. It's painful. You know, if that's your piece of paper and you had actual feelings, it would hurt to be folded and changed and reshaped, but for, for the good of the plane. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest. This is the result of right living for those who are trained in this way, those of us who get shaped by God we become the people God wants us to be. He says, hey, this is going to bring good things into your life. That doesn't mean necessarily financial prosperity and a great future that way. What we think of, it means that we become the people God made us to be, and we honor him with our lives, and he uses us. The middle, this childhood stage, is, is where lives are shaped. It is what, it's what you think of when you think of, well, how do I parent? It's technique land. You need some tools, some techniques. In a few moments, I'm going to have you throw this airplane, not just randomly, but at a target, right? To the right way of of living. Let me just ask you, if I would have said, hey, if you hit the target, if I would have told you ahead, the winner is going to get (laughs) $500,000. How would you have prepared for this meeting today? Right? Somebody throw out the answer. How would you have prepared? (laughs) You would have folded some paper. So you should be taking care of other people's children and make your mistakes on them, is what you're saying. I understand what else would you have done? You would have Googled You would have YouTube, You might have read a book. You would, have, you would have studied, and you would have learned techniques, and you might have learned some principles of aerodynamics. You, for $500,000, are you kidding me? You would have invested a lot of time and energy before you folded and threw the plane. Right? Now, are your kids worth $500,000? All right, that's the Well, yeah, they're priceless. That's such a sentimental thing. <laughs> I wish someone put that to the test. Let's find out. No, I'm just kidding. Right? So the middle stage is where the heavy duty folding takes place. It's where the heavy. So we have the beginning stage where the dreams are dreamt. We have the middle which is this active parenting folding. It's so incredible. It is what we think of when we think about parenting. It's the first thing we think of. We don't think about the little tiny little baby. We think about the kid throwing the temper tantrum, the kid not coming home on time, the kind of discipline it takes growing kids up, the science projects, all that stuff. (coughs) Excuse me. All right. So before we talk about the end, I need to undo something. I need you to open up your papers flat again. I know, oh, I just made it. It's so horrible. It should look something like this. All right. Now, just for the fun of it, I just want to hear a little bit. Besides following Jesus and knowing God and honoring God, what were some of the things that you dreamt for your kids? Just shout them out. Forgive, they'd be forgiving people. Good. What else? That they'd be respectful to other people. They'd have common sense. They'd be independent. Is that a wealth issue? or, uh, or Spirited. They are. Spirited. Okay. What else? Something to others. What was it? Respect others. Respect others. What else? Compassionate. 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 That they would find happiness. Okay. That's, that's awesome. Hey, I, I took five minutes to do mine. Here's what I put down. I put down my initial. I hope your initial is on yours. I put down dreams and hopes because that's what we were talking about. I said love God and others. I hope they have a purpose beyond themselves. Something bigger than just... I didn't want them to be consumers their whole life. I want them to give something back to this to this world. I hope they had character, which is some of the things you were saying. Truthful, honest, loving, kind, compassion, all those things. And then I want them to be financially stable because if they're not, they come home. So that's kind of the plan. <laughs> And I want them to enjoy the, you know, managing their lives and living their lives, and I don't want to hold them back. So I want that for them, and I want it for me as well. That doesn't mean that there's not a time and place for home, because it's, it's fine. It's just that that's not the long-term plan for anybody, right? So now I need you to do one more thing. I need you to, We forgot something on the paper. So take your pen, and I need you to write across all your goals and all your dreams and your DNA, I need you to put two devastating words, free will. <laughs> write that right across it free will why am i having you do that because your kids have it that is the name of the airlines (laughs) it's free will airlines you are trying to raise someone who has free will right and and if you think you're, you're not the only one everybody does in fact from the very beginning adam and eve who had the very best dad ever who did they know for their father God, 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 and God only. There was no culture, there was no society, there was no MTV, there was nothing, no YouTube, there was no video games for them to get lost in, there was no pornography anywhere. It was just the two of them. They had the best dad ever, but they exercised their free will. By the way, if you're a parent and you have a kid who's wandering down a trail, you just you wish they weren't. They're prodigal kind of thing. Quit kicking your own butt, right? It wasn't you. You, you probably folded well. I mean, if you got something to, to say you're sorry for, say you're sorry for But you probably did the best job you could. You loved your kids, I'm guessing. But kids have free will. It is the name of the airlines, and we can't fold our way out of free will. No matter how good a folder you are, you cannot and should not try to remove their free will. You try to guide it, but you don't try to control it. All right, so that's very important. Now, refold your planes. Or some of you already have. And we're going to bring the targets out. Someone's helping me with that. Here come the targets. So I wish I had $500,000 for this, but I don't. All I've got is a few snicker bars to give out. These guys are going to stay up here, and they're going to be spotters. In a moment, you're going to, you're going to throw your plane. Don't do it yet. Don't do it yet. Now, you need to know that this is. Um, there's some rules to this. You cannot throw it at me because some of them are pointy. That's rule number one. <laughs> rule number two is you, you are not allowed to leave the area of your seat. You are not allowed to stand up on your seat. These things I learned last night. You're not allowed to stand up <laughs> on your seat. You're not allowed to come any closer. Where you sat was your choice. You should have been thinking about this. Someday I'm going to give away $5 to bring the front row. Right? You should, come on, come on, move forward, Okay? You have to throw from where you are. I don't care which target you aim at. That's that's not a problem. Pick the one that's closest to you. If you get through it, I don't have $500,000, but I got a candy bar for you. Last night, last night, no one got their plane through. And so I gave the candy bars to each of the people helping out (laughs) instead. So they're not going to be cheering for you is what I'm saying. All right, so I'm going to get out of the way. But I said you can stand up, but you cannot stand up on your chair. So I'm going to get out of the way, and I'm going to count to three. It'll be one, two, three, throw. You throw on the word throw, not on the numbers. So if you position yourselves for takeoff, ready? Ready, <laughs> position whatever you want. All right. I'm going to count to three. Okay. Now, wait a minute. Hold on here, because I know. You also may not wait till everybody else throws and then make your own throw. You will be disqualified because I'm watching, all right? So you got to throw when I say throw. Ready? One, two, three, throw. <laughs> this one, too. That one went through, right? Who is this one? I saw it go through. I hope there's a name on it. All right, we got. Guys, nice job, sit down. Is that BW or BU? Come on. You got that through from there? Did you see it go through? WKR. You have no dreams for your child, though, (laughs) WKR. All right. (laughs) Thanks. But we got dreams for you, so it's all right. All right. Good job. Now, you know what about that little thing we just did? Some of you are thinking this, it's not fair. It's not fair. I didn't know I was going to make a plane today, right? I would have prepared for it. Well, guess what? Having children, you don't know nothing. It's okay. It wasn't fair because I was in the back of the room. I was over on the left-hand side. I was on the right-hand side. I was far away. There was a tall person right in front of me, all that kind of stuff. Guess what? That's just like parenting, some of us grow up in the good part of town, the bad part of town. Some of us are disadvantaged from the way we were raised. We're coming to a blind. Some of us don't even have parents anymore to help guide us in our new parenting. No one's saying, I told you so. Right? It's, it's not fair. There are so many advantages and disadvantages. Some of you are thinking, it's not fair because I threw my plane, and then a guy over there threw his plane at the same time, and his plane hit my plane and knocked it off course. That's called teenage friends. <laughs> They're going along just perfectly and they get the wrong friends and they get knocked off course from where you threw them, right? And, and so it's not fair. I threw my plane and suddenly the, the air conditioning heating unit went on and there was a breeze from the fan going through and it blew my plane off course. Yeah, that's called culture. <laughs> it's blowing all the time and there's so many things working against you as parents. It is not fair. By the way, once you let go of the plane, what did you do? Right? If there let's just change it. There's 500,000. Maybe you don't care about a chocolate bar. I know you care about a half a million dollars. What would you be doing the moment you let go of that plane? Praying, hoping, holding your breath, cheering for your plane even though it doesn't make any difference at all. Right? Like we do for the Vikings. Right? You do all those things because you have no what? None. The plane is on its own, and it's flying. And you did the very best you could, but you had to let go. And you had, and then you step back and you watch. And this brings us to the last stage. This is the end stage. The end stage of parenting is you. You, you hope. You dream your dreams. You fold like crazy as best you can, gently, firmly, shaping for those outcomes that you want. And then when you let go, you have to. You have to hope. You gotta pray. You got to love, you got to cheer. these are the things that that parents do so the final stage of parenting is parenting adults or young adults right and and, and i know I know there's a there's there's always, between each of these stages, there's sort of a, a transition period. I get that. But we're going to talk about it as if it's just pure terms. So I want to give you a job description for parenting adults. By the way, I've given this message before. How many of you threw up in, in with me in a message before? About five of you, right? Because it was a long time ago we did this same thing. And we brought, this, brought it back today. But this wasn't in the last time because I wasn't the parent of an adult the last time I did this. So the, now I'm smarter, wiser. I've learned some things. So here's the first thing I've learned about parenting adults. Stop folding. It is the hardest thing to stop folding. What does that mean? You stop disciplining. It means when they're 40 years old, you don't turn to them and say, because I said so. You don't say, I need to correct you about some things. That is not your role anymore. You have to stop folding. And it's, it's very, do you understand what I'm saying? By the way, after the service last night, a young couple came to me. And one of them said, hey, Doug, how do I stop my dad from folding? He's married, right? And, and <laughs> his dad is still folding him. And he goes, how do I stop him? And I go, that is one of the hardest questions. I said, maybe you just need to send him a link to the message because I don't know, I don't even know what to tell you. I know talking to him isn't going to go well. Maybe you can get a common language from him watching it and then have a conversation about it. But but if you're a parent of an adult, I'm telling you, you have to stop folding. Your children will help you if you listen to them. Right? When I start folding my kids, my kids push back. They go, I'm an adult. It's not your role anymore. Stop it. And I come up with a reason why folding is still okay. All right. So stop falling. <laughs> That's harder to not do. than I mean, we're parents. It's hard to stop. Secondly, make sure your child knows your love. I don't care what they're doing. I don't care where they are. I don't care how much. And, and, and you have to make sure that no matter how they're spending their money, no matter what drugs they're using, no matter who they're sleeping with, no matter how far they are from the course that you set for them, they know you love them. Don't confuse that with they know you endorse them, that you think it's all okay. That's that's not true. They already know that you don't endorse their behavior. You didn't raise them that way. They haven't forgotten. They're just exercising free will airlines. And they're flying to whatever destinations they want. And you can't do anything except to say, I'm hoping, I'm praying, I'm cheering, and I love you. Because I'm not touching the plane anymore. It's your life. It's your life. So, does that sound biblical to you? And, and, and the answer is I think it's incredibly biblical. Let me take you to the story that Jesus told. It's the greatest of Jesus' stories. If I could only teach them one passage, this would be the story that I would want to tell. It's actually the third story that's told in Luke 15. And Jesus was teaching one point with three different stories. So Luke says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them the story. So what you need to understand, there's one major unbelievably great life-changing point that Jesus is making. So valuable, he told the same thing in three different ways, three different stories. And here's the point. God's love is not what we think it is. We all have this default idea about how God loves, and it's not the way we think it is. Here's what we think. We think God loves me if, if I'm religious enough, if I'm good enough if I do the right things, if I'm living the life that he would endorse totally, then God is happy with me and he loves me and I can come to church and I can worship and say, Jesus loves me, this I know, right? Because, because he loves me. He loves me if. And then when we're not doing those things, we don't think he really loves us. He's not feeling the love today. Because of all the stuff that I'm I'm doing, how far off course I'm. And I'm going to tell you that's that's not what Jesus said. We'll get to it in a moment. And we think also that God loves me when. Right? When I'm living obediently. When I'm praying enough, reading my Bible enough. Being anything you want to add to that, He loves me when I'm doing those things. But when I'm not doing those things, He doesn't love me. Can I just tell you a little secret? A little secret. God doesn't love you any more or less if you read your Bible. Never changes. Does he love you anymore? He doesn't love you anymore because you came to church today, didn't do a thing. Some of you are about to leave. Just, just stay, stay in your seat. That's, not, that's rude. Don't leave. All right. So let me tell you the story that Jesus told to illustrate the point further. Jesus told them this story. He said a man had two sons. This might be a familiar story to you. The younger son told his father, "I want my share of your estate now, before you die." That is not a timely question, right? I want it before you die. That's not when you give out inheritances. So, so the father agreed to divide the wealth between the sons. By the way, don't you think that younger son had a lot of guts? How do you do that? How do you you go to your dad and say, I want my share now? I'm not going to wait for you to die. Just give it to to me now. Now, the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons, which means he split it. I don't think he gave the older son his share yet. I think he needed something to live on. But he gave his younger son some inheritance, money. Here's my question for you. Do you think the father knew where this was going? Do you think he understood his son's character, his son's lack of wisdom, where he would go? We all probably know that his son's going to make some really horrible decisions very soon. The first one's already been made. I want it now. But he's going to go make some worse decisions. And I'm just telling you, I think the father, you, you know which kids you can trust and which ones you can't you you know where they're kind of headed in life if you're paying attention at all and this father is actually in the story represents god and so he absolutely knows what his son is going to do so here's what happens a few days later this younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land and there he wasted all his money in wild living the bible doesn't get explicit about that but we can figure it out he lived he lived what does a young man do with money when he's got too much money it's not complicated Right? So, about that time his money ran out. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He's out of money, out of friends, and out of food. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. The man sent him into the fields to feed his pigs. By the way, Jesus lived first century. What nationality, what religion was Jesus? Jewish. Who was he speaking to? Jews. What don't Jews touch, eat, look at? Pigs. So the story is this kid got so far off track that he, he, he was feeding the pigs. It doesn't get any worse to his audience, right? The young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs, the pig food, looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. Understand, when you read that, you think, oh, he was that hungry. When the Jewish people heard this, he's going to eat pig food? Jesus' master storyteller. It's just an incredible story with this kind of thing. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, this is what I do too, self, I speak to myself that way, he said to himself, self, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. Right? So he kind of has this awakening moment that this is stupid. Why am I here? I can go home and be a servant At the farm, I bet my dad would hire me. So what he realizes is his life is not working. He's gotten so far off the father trajectory that he realizes that this is a stupid way to live. I've done free will, and my way, and my way is not going very well. So he says, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against against heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Right? Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. His father was outside looking for him every day probably, looking down the road, and he's off in the distance. He sees the son. He looks, and he looks, and he kind of squints his eyes, and he sees it. Hit. He knows his son walk, his son's gait, his son size, and he goes, he's still a long ways off, but I can see it's my son. What I want you to know is this is the pivotal moment of the story because the people who heard this thought, Okay, here we go. The father's going to get his revenge. The father's going to be able to fold his kids, punish his kids, discipline his kid, take advantage of the moment. But Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, Jesus tells a story. He said, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his disobedient, foolish, money-spending, pig-loving kid. And he embraces him. And he kissed him. what's the point the very first message this dad has for his kid is i love you you smell like a pig kid but i love you i embrace you i touch you i hold you i kiss you i'm not angry the, my love never changed for you. Of course I want it better for you. He didn't say all those things out loud. He just loves him. He wants his kid to know he loves him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy to be called to your son. Please take me on as a... He does a speech as a hired servant. But the father, the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe from the house. He smells like a pig. Let's get him in some decent clothing. All right? And put it on him. And get a ring for his finger. Not just any ring. It's the family ring, the signet ring. So he is back. He's part of the family. Put the ring on his finger and get sandals. No kid of mine is going to walk around like this. Get sandals for his feet. And kill the calf that we've been fattening. We've been waiting for an occasion special enough for this this meal. This is it. Get that calf. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead. And now he's returned home to life. He lives. He lives. He was lost, but now he's found. And I love this. This is the best part of the whole thing. And so the party begins. The dad throws a party. How many words of correction has he spoken? How many words of new folding? How many times did he say, you know what, you were so stupid to go off like that. What were you thinking? Not the way I raised you. I can't believe you. None. It's just I love you. I love you. And the son has returned home. Meanwhile, The older son was working in the fields. When he returned home, he heard the music and dancing in the house. He asked one of the servants, what's what's going on? I heard the big party start. What's going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. You know the one. Yeah, I I know the one. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. Son, son, come in. I love you. Come in. You're missing the whole party. But he replied, All these years I've served. No, make that slaved for you. And never once refused to do a single thing you told me. I was doing all the things you said because I know what. I know you love me when. And I know you love me if. And so I did the when's and I did the if's that being a child of yours demands. And and in all that time, you never gave me even one goat to feast with my friends with. We never had one party with my friends. I never even got a goat and you kill the fatted calf for this disobedient son of yours. In fact, he, s- he says exactly that. Yet when this son of yours, not my brother, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, I don't know how he knew that. Was he spying on it or how did he, just whatever? Prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, loved son, you have always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. See, the older brother was thinking what I think. Dad loves me if. And dad loves me when. And we make this mistake that think that, that to get loved, we have to live a life where he can endorse me. And some of us were raised that way. Our parents don't express love because we're not living the life that they would have chosen for us. We've made all kinds of wrong decisions and they're holding that against us and they're not loving us the way parents should because they're afraid if they love us, we'll mistake that for endorsement. We are smarter than that. We know how our parents want us to live. And and by the way, some of you are holding back your love from your kids because you're afraid if you love them, freely and openly without judgment that they're going to think you're endorsing everything they do. They won't. But they will think that you don't love them. They will think that you only love them if. See, Jesus' message is that's not how it works. Jesus' message is dad loves you. By the way, whether you're a parent or not, we're all kids. The reason Jesus told this story is because we need to know that. None of us are living living lives that God would say, oh, I endorse everything about your life. You're such a good kid, I love you. That's not how it works. I love you. I sent Jesus to die on the cross for you because I love you, not to endorse you, just to love you. The more our kids change from our flight plans for them, the more difficult it will be for them to know our love. Right? And I'm not going to tell stories right now, but I've got two kids and Both of them have free will and both of them have exercised it freely, which is what I want for them and I can't take away. We all get, you know, free will airlines, right? And I'm telling you, it's just been recently that I've learned that the first thing and the only thing I need to do, I got to stop folding. I've irritated both my children by continuing to fold and I need to make sure, number one, they know I love them which means I have to be able to hug them and love them and embrace them without a hint of smelling a pig. Just love them. And then I can be available to them for wisdom. If I try to give them wisdom when they're not asking, I'm folding. But if they come to me and say, Hey, Dad, what do you think? Right? What do you think? By the way, that is like the moment parents live for what do i think what do i think i'm not going to tell you no you, <laughs> you 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 treasure the moment and you give it to them in love but if they don't think you, if they don't know you love them why would they ever come to you to get another sermon says the preacher right? so the beginning we dream big dreams good dreams right dreams the way of life dreams. And we and then we fold diligently according to the dreams. We raise we parent on purpose to help them f- discover that way of life so they have a trajectory. We do the very best can we can because we know the day is coming very soon when we will we'll have to open our little fingers up and the plane will go free will, lean wherever it wants to. And then the last phase, once we've opened our hands and let go of the plane, we love and we pray and we hope and we're available for wisdom, but we stop folding by the way do you want your parents folding you even the 13 year olds say no absolutely not but 40 year olds say no absolutely do you want to live your whole life for the endorsement of your parents i hope not i hope that not every decision that you make you're thinking i just want my mom and dad's approval i just want them no look for god's approval and live your lives and you're going to make some mistakes along the way That's what life is like. Now, here's how we're going to end this series. I'm going to invite you to stand up if you are a parent of anyone. And you know you're a parent. Some of you, by the way, if you're married and your wife stands up and you're wondering why, (laughs) you might have to have a conversation after the service is all I'm saying. All right. You're standing up right now because you have one of the hardest jobs. One of the very hardest jobs. So we want to pray for you. Let's pray together. God, First of all, thanks for being our dad. Thanks for finding us and loving us even when you can't endorse our stuff. Thanks for the kind of love that's not conditioned on being religious enough or good enough or even sorry enough. You just love us. And God, help us to take this wisdom for these parents and for myself. God, help us to do what this stage requires us to do. For some of us, it's so exciting to dream the dreams. And some of us, God, are <laughs> up to our necks in dirty laundry and dirty kids and dirty floors, and it's the next science project, and it's the next you-weren't-telling-me-the-truth moment, and you're throwing a temper tantrum, and we're just looking for how, and we're looking to get through it. God, help them. help Give them Give them someone ahead of them and alongside of them and behind them to support. Help us to be the church for those people. Because they're for a few years they're in the very thick of it. And then God, the longest stage is when we stop folding. And we just love. And we're just available. God help us to to let go of all the stuff that we want to say and want to correct. Help us to stop folding. And God, help us to truly love. And then God, help us to be available and not start folding again when we get the chance to whiz for wisdom. And God, we ask those very same things from you, of your love and your wisdom, and even your folding in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.